Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Job chapter 31 called Job's Final Appeal. So Job is right before the Psalms, Job 31. I want you to hold a finger there in Job 31 if you have a physical Bible. Just kind of mark your place and turn also to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in your New Testament, okay? We're going to start with the 2 Corinthians 5 passage to kind of set the table for tonight. So Job 31, 2 Corinthians 5, and uh, let's pray. Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for the music ministry that Shane has brought as we could enter in and praise our holy God, our Father, our Savior, our Redeemer, our great King. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you are our Savior, our God, our friend, our Redeemer. And thank you so much that we can serve you. We're here tonight because of you. We want to know you better. We want to learn your ways. A lot of us have been thinking about the beginning of a year and how we can uh, just make sure our target is set on the right things, that we're looking to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. We want to fix our eyes on you, not the things of the world, Lord. We want to look away from those things and look to you. We want to run this race with endurance, a race that's been marked out before us. We want to walk in the good works that you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So help us to be faithful. You are faithful, Lord. And even when we stumble, help us to get back into the race, knowing that you're a God of mercy and compassion as well. And we just thank you for tonight. May you be glorified in this study of Job 31. And may you take it where you want it to go for your glory in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Second Corinthians chapter five, this is an intriguing couple of verses. Here's what it says. For we, Second Corinthians 5, 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice that the judgment seat is Christ. Many of you will be familiar with the Greek word for judgment. It's bima. And scholars have pointed out that bima is not a judge like in the court of law, like a judge behind a mahogany bench ready to cast a sentence. This particular setting is the judge in an Olympic competition who's giving out rewards for people who have run or competed well. Paul concludes a majestic chapter on the resurrection and things pertaining to the hope that we have through the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, we must all appear before the judgment or bema seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, in light of this truth, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. There's this concept in the Bible of a final accounting that we will give to God, and we have to remind ourselves that the accounting that we will give to God is not in regard to our sin, because our sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. We've been spending a lot of time in Galatians making sure we understand the gospel, that the gospel is Christ becoming accursed for us, absorbing the curse, 
taking the punishment that we deserve and crediting us with his righteousness, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection, his perfect life, the moment that we place faith or believing trust in the Lord. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that is a settled deal. So you might say, well, then what is this judgment seat in 2 Corinthians 5 written to a Christian congregation? This judgment seat is the Bema. And it tells you and me that we're going to have a day when we stand before our maker, our savior, our redeemer, and notice that Jesus Christ is the judge. If you're interested, write down John 5.22, where Jesus says, all judgment has been given to the son. Jesus be the judge. So you want to make sure that you know him because he's the judge. And there's passages in Matthew 7 and Matthew 25 where Jesus is depicted as saying, you can either enter or not enter because I either know you or don't know you. He says to a group of those 10 virgins, the five that didn't have the oil, depart from me, I don't know you. Many will say, Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's passage after passage that we need to realize that Jesus is the judge. And sometimes people in the world want to dismiss Jesus. And it's something like this. I'm cool with God. I don't know about Jesus. But Jesus says all judgment's been given to him. And 2 Corinthians 10, 5, I'm sorry, 5, 10 says that we must all appear before what? The judgment seat of Christ. Now imagine for a second that, and I don't know if you're going to talk, and I don't know if I'm going to talk, but let's just say that you have a chance to talk. You know, there's passages in the New Testament that say that we will give an account. Hebrews 13, 17 says, leaders will give an account to God for how we led the church. There's this idea of an accounting in some of the gospel stories that Jesus tells about people who were entrusted with a certain stewardship, and then they will give an accounting to their master. So imagine for a moment that you'll have a chance to say something. Let's say that you appeared before the Bema seat of Jesus Christ tonight. What would you say? What kind of accounting would you give for your life? I'm not giving you an imaginary scenario it's going to happen. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what will he judge us for? Well, in this case, it's not a judgment for sin. He paid for our sin at the cross. Go over to Job 31. It is a judgment, if you will. A, uh, he's ready to give rewards out to those who ran well. Some will have nothing to show there's another passage in Corinthians that says they will be saved as through fire. But we will be rewarded for what we did, how faithful we were. I say this to tell you that Job 31 is about Job chronicling his life of faithfulness. And Job 1, and we've repeated this several times, so I won't take you there. You all know that God was bragging on Job. There's nobody like him. He's a righteous man. He's blameless. He turns from evil. He does good and he turns from evil. God commends the life of Job. So in Job 31, when Job is going to kind of recount his faithfulness to God, don't dismiss that as a prideful chapter in, in uh, the book of Job. 
Job is not being arrogant. He's desperately wanting to be vindicated by God. Because remember, Job is an innocent sufferer. He has not sinned against God so that what he's getting is a consequence of sin. He's actually a good, righteous man. There's nobody like this guy on the earth. This guy is a noble man. He's a good man. He's a compassionate man. He's a deeply spiritual man. And yet he's suffering. And this goes to something else that we need to understand. And that is that all suffering is not a consequence of our personal sin. People suffer and sometimes die what we would consider die young and we don't always understand. Nabil Koresh is an example. He was a young man, came out of Islam, became a Christian, joined Ravi Zacharias uh, on his apologetics team, was passionate, effective, finds out he has stage four stomach cancer. If you've ever seen this video before, there's there's a very emotional video where he's in his hospital bed on the verge of death, doctors say there's no more hope. His organs are shutting down and he closes his eyes. His lips are all parched and he says, oh God, please heal me. Something like this, but, but whatever you do, I trust you. God didn't heal him. He was a good man. He's being used mightily by God. He's a guy in his early 30s, handsome, articulate, educated, powerful platform to reach into the Muslim world and share the good news of the gospel and God takes him. Do I understand that? No. Is my heart broken as I'm watching him in the hospital bed? Yep. And that tells me, that's just one example of many that we could cite, that suffering doesn't always make sense. God's ways are not my ways. I don't understand everything, but I have today. And one day I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I wonder how many of us are really living in light of that. I wonder how many Christians you know tonight that really believe that's going to happen and are living their life in the light of that meeting. Literally, you're going to meet your maker. You're going to meet your savior. You're going to meet your God. And I'm talking to myself when I'm saying this because I need to be stirred constantly. Now, later on, you know, Job is going to make this appeal to God and he is going to get an audience with God. And I think, you know, most of you have read the end of the book and you know what that is going to look like. But right now, this is Job's last word. The, The very last verse of Job 31 says this is Job's Uh, the words of Job are ended. So if you read commentaries on the book of Job, scholars like to point that out because it's poignant, right? These, These are the last words other than his being in awe of God and just saying, you know, I retract everything I said, I repent now now that I've seen you, right? But these, so this is powerful because this is like the last speech, the recorded last, last recorded speech of Job. What does he say? Quick review. In 29, he recalled his former days of glory when everything was going well. In 30, chapter 30, he talked about his days of disgrace, where he's being made fun of and he's sick and he can't make sense of his suffering. And in chapter 31, he makes a final appeal to God. One scholar called this section an oath of innocence. Job's going to recount his life of faithfulness with the question kind of behind it of why God. If I, if I live the right kind of life, why do you let me suffer? 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hey, this is Pastor Shane Lance from Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. We want to thank you for listening to the program today. And we want to let you know that we have some new service times on Sunday morning. So we are going to go back to two services on Sunday mornings. One is going to be at 8.30 a.m. and the other is going to be at 10.30 a.m. So we pray that you'll join us for one of those services. I am the music director at the church and we are really excited to be able to worship through music and we're going to worship as well through studying God's word. We're going to worship in spirit and in truth as the scripture commands us to do. So we're really excited. We pray that you'll join us for one of those services this Sunday at 8.30 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. We pray that you have a great week and we thank you for listening to Walk in Truth Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations this year. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And in chapter 31, he makes a final appeal to God. One scholar called this section an oath of innocence. Job's going to recount his life of faithfulness with the question kind of behind it of why God. If I, if I live the right kind of life, why do you let me suffer? He opens this way, Job 31.1. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Now, verses 1 through 34, if you're taking notes, catalog Job's faithfulness. We will see 14 categories, two sevens. So in Hebrew thought, and we could take this to the New Testament, seven's the number of what? Completion or perfection. So you have two sevens. So you could look at this as a catalog of Job saying, when it came to life, my overall life before God, it could be categorized as faithful. I was trying to be the right kind of man. He opens the chapter with something that may be familiar to many men. If you've ever been involved in any kinds of kind of men's ministry or If you've struggled with pornography and ever come across a website called CovenantEyes.com, CovenantEyes.com, this is, that website, that ministry is based upon Job 31.1. And I won't beat this drum, but you all know how rampant pornography is in our world. It's just an absolute epidemic. 
And so Job 31.1, Job opens, cataloging his faithfulness to God. God called him a righteous man. And he says, I had made a covenant with my eyes. Now I'm gonna take you through categories, the 14 categories. If you're taking notes, the first one is lust. And essentially what Job is saying in every case is, I didn't do this. I didn't lust. In fact, he says in verse one, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Now, the idea of covenant will kind of bookend chapter 31. And the idea of a covenant is an agreement, a contract. We have an old and a new covenant. Jesus initiated the new covenant with the, the uh, institution of communion. We're going to take communion at the end of this particular message. So we're in a covenant with God. It's a new covenant. And it's possible, based upon Job 31.1, to make a covenant with your eyes. Now, if you've been out in the world long enough, you know, uh, I'll talk to the guys for a second. Guys will say words like this. Well, yeah, you're married. You could read the menu, but you don't have to order. <laughs> And then sometimes guys are on these construction sites and girls walk by and they're gawking at the girls. And, you know, it, it's, it's, like, it's like almost like sport now. It's to be expected. Are you a red-blooded American? Then this is what you do. Is it? In Job 31.1, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How do you make a covenant with your eyes? The idea is a pledge. It's an agreement. Job, one writer says, had entered into a solemn and binding commitment with himself. He said, I'm not going to gaze or gawk at a woman in that way. Now, let me clarify. There's nothing wrong with appreciation of beauty. God makes beautiful things and beautiful people. And I think sometimes it's ridiculous when we get so extreme that a guy has to walk with his head down and you know, bounce into light posts and stuff like that. That's not what God expects of you. That's not how Jesus lived. But you all know the difference between appreciation of beauty and lust. I don't have to explain it to you because we all know what it is. And the, the idea of the original language here means that you are looking at someone who you're not married to, who's a young, attractive girl in this case, with the intention of looking at her in a sexual way as to fantasize in being with her. And I'll leave it right there. That's what this is. And that's, it's in, incredible because as old as the book of Job is, Job has an insight into the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus shared. Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've already what? Committed adultery in your heart. Isn't it amazing? That's how godly Job is. Now, you might say, well, why did Job right out of the gate start with this area of life? Did he struggle with it? I don't know. I would say a lot of men struggle in this area. Women struggle in this area as well. I don't know if it was his main struggle, but it may well be that he started here to point out his inner life. You see, your Christian walk is not just about what you do on the outside. Amen? It's not just about showing up to certain places and having the right lingo and whatever and impressing most of the people most of the time. Your Christian life is about an inner life. God wants truth in my inward parts. 
And if I'm going to be real before God, I've got to let his searchlight come in and take a good look at this part of Michael. And this part of Michael ain't always pretty. You know, I can mumble on the freeway with the best of them. It seems like everybody's not in a hurry when I'm in a hurry in my car. Can I get a witness? What are you doing? What are you thinking? That's why many of you have taken Christian bumper stickers off your car. I feel you. (laughs) Anyway. You see, God wants truth in the inward parts. And Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, what? Now, it's not literal, right? I hope it ain't literal. (laughs) Pluck it up, you know, cut it off. But what he's saying is to take radical measures with sin. Here's something that I've noticed over now multiple decades of walking with the Lord and having similar struggles to many of you, especially in my early years, is that whatever I feed the most, I tend to crave. And if I start cutting off sinful patterns in my life, they start to lose their power. You cut off sinful patterns, they start to lose their power. It doesn't mean that you're not going to still struggle, but you will struggle less. But if you keep feeding the fire of those things, you keep feeding the beast, so to speak, then don't be surprised if you're struggling with it because you've been feeding it. You starve sin, it tends to die in your life. It tends to lose its power. You've been listening to Job's Final Appeal, Part 1, on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Job chapter 31. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we'd love to connect with our listeners. That means you. So you can email or send Pastor Michael and the team a letter. We love to get mail. You can get all the contact information at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. But our email address is contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address. Are you ready? You can write Pastor Michael at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Once again, that's P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, in Job 31, Job makes a final appeal, and you may have been appealing heaven in your prayer closet, something like this. You know, I feel like I've lived an upright life, and yet I feel like there's a target on my chest, on my back. I plead, I ask, and the problem has not been lifted. What do I do? (laughs) Well, I would say you're listening to the right book because the book of Job is about this. Job is going to experience at the end of this book relief. The uh, target will be removed. The burdens will be lifted and Job will be restored double. So you might be thinking, well, why should I try? You should, you should continue to press on because the one who called you is working things together for good. And even if you haven't seen the good yet, that's a promise you can take to the bank. He will work it together for good to make you more like Jesus. And really, that's what the book of Job is all about. 
Suffering is sometimes the pathway to become more like our Lord. I know it's not fun, but hang in there. And if we can be there for you, 844-48-TRUTH. You can also send a prayer request at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We'd be happy to pray for you and with you. And uh, I would just like to encourage you to have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, to be thinking about those who gave their life in service of our country. Uh, We memorialize those who died on the battlefields of the world to protect a very precious commodity, freedom. And today, you know, our country is, is reeling in many, many ways. And we can often feel like our freedoms are being impinged upon. We look at what's happening in Canada with the church and some tough things going on right now. And I pray that as we think about Memorial Day, we'll be thinking about those who laid down their life and then the ultimate one who laid down his life, Jesus Christ, to make us ultimately free. And that our focus would remain on him and telling other people how to find freedom in Christ. Hey, have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget to think about those who sacrificed all for us. And we'll see you right here Monday. And just a reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. So please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. And join us on Monday for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Job chapter 31 called Job's Final Appeal. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.